Discussing the commodities markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors, and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Commodity Watch Radio with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Commodity Watch Radio, which is hosted in association with Mindsight. I'm Dominic Frisby, and today I'm talking to John Rubino. Now, John Rubino carries form. Long before they unfolded, he correctly identified the two major financial trends of the last five years. In 2003, he wrote How to Profit from the Coming Real Estate Bust. We all know what happened there, though Rubino was early. U.S. real estate peaked three years later in the summer of 2006. Then, together with James Turk in 2004, he wrote The Coming Collapse of the Dollar and How to Profit from It. We've had declines, but no collapse in the dollar, though the main thrust of the book was to buy gold, which has been a superb investment, gold stocks, which have, been, which have had mixed success, and it also recommended that the more adventurous short financial stocks with, among others, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac suggested as prime targets. Again, the call was early. Financial stocks rallied until February 2007, but since then, shorting them has been one of the trades of the century. So, given Rubino's record, we all want to know where he sees the next trend unfolding. His latest book is called Clean Money, Picking Winners in the Green Tech Boom, and these are the opening lines. Welcome to the next great bull market. It might take a while to really get going, for reasons this book will explain, but eventually it's going to be bigger and longer-lived than the tech stock and housing booms combined. John, that is an enormous call, but it's one that is uh, music to my ears. Welcome back to Commodity Watch Radio. Why is this going to be the next great bull market? Hi, Dominic. Well, for several reasons. One is um, a lot of this stuff it finally works, like solar energy and wind power and, and smart grid technologies. Um, and another is that uh, there's a burning need for alternative energy and um, greater efficiency in a lot of um, aspects of the global economy. And so you put those two together and, uh, and you get a market that really has legs because the, the governments of the world right now have, have decided that clean technology is a major policy priority. So they're funneling basically huge amounts of money into a lot of these things now, especially in the U.S., but uh, also in Europe and Asia. And uh, so the, the technologies that work are, are seeing a lot of um, capital inflows at a time when very few other industries are. So um, over the next few years, you're going to see a lot of the, um, the really high-quality clean tech stocks um, outperform because uh, they'll see rising revenues and earnings where most of the market won't. Let me ask you a couple of questions there. Firstly, um, on the subject of the capital inflows that these, these stocks are, uh, these companies are receiving, I know Obama has pledged a lot of money and Gordon Brown's talking about pledging a lot of money too. We won't know there's a budget being announced this week. But this is government money. Um, I know a lot of private money and, and various fund money was being invested. But since the great credit collapse of last year, 
has that not that area of funding that perhaps more important area of funding not dried up yeah and on on the private sector side funding has dried up for almost everything across the board um but because the governments of the world are they're facing basically a, a depression right now a financial collapse that rivaled the 1930s and and they're armed with unlimited printing presses so they know or, or they believe they they have to um take up the slack for the private sector by printing a lot of money and spending it. So they basically have the, the ability to produce unlimited amounts of dollars and pounds and euros, and they're, they're doing it right now. And uh, a lot of that money is flowing into clean tech. So, so you'll see government money take up um, much of the slack that, uh, that the private sector um, is giving up by, by contracting right now. And so, yeah, a, a lot of these companies on the clean tech side won't see spectacular sales and earnings increases in the short run, but they'll see relatively strong results because the rest of the market is uh, is going to be so weak. So on the one hand, you'll have relative outperformance. And uh, looking further down the road, you'll have um, strong real growth when the uh, the private sector starts to come back and starts to look around for um, uh, for technologies that can be implemented that can uh, generate real returns. So um, the government will support these guys in the short run. The private sector will pick up the slack in the long run. And, and you've got a, an investment play that you can basically, uh, once you find a good entry point, ride for many years, if not many decades. I think uh, a lot of these things, um, for instance, solar energy and wind power, uh, have such long, long growth arcs ahead of them that uh, that there'll probably be growth industries for the rest of our lifetimes. Let me ask you about wind power. I have to say, I'm, I'm a clean energy convert. I'm a big believer that it's a, a great solution. But um, I spend a lot of time in the West Country um, of the UK in Cornwall, and, and there are lots of wind, firm, wind farms emerging there. And, you know, as a lover of Cornwall, I think they're a real blot on the landscape. But uh, how energy efficient are they? I mean, how much in relation to the amount of energy and the amount of steel it takes to build one, how much actual energy do they produce? Well, um, two things. First of all, the, the blot of the landscape thing is it's a, that's a real concern with wind power because these turbines are gigantic. They're, you know, Boeing 747-sized things sitting on, on their ends. Uh, but you can site them offshore, and, and that's what's happening in a lot of places where they're they're far enough out that you don't, necessarily see them from the shore and, and they uh, because it's windier out there they're actually more efficient so yeah uh, that, that's one solution to the uh, the, the view problem and uh, now as for how efficient they are they, that really there's an argument going on right now about uh, uh, how much energy they really do generate because um, the wind isn't a necessarily stable predictable thing and so um, it, it's impossible to guarantee ahead of time how much energy a wind farm will generate, but in general, it's sufficiently efficient and productive to make it worth the while of the utilities that are looking at the industry or looking at the technology and, and choosing to go with it. So it's, uh, it's a source of energy that, um, with the right turbine in the right place, hooked up to the grid um, in the right way, does work. It does compete on cost with uh, with coal and natural gas, and it is something that uh, that it looks like there's a lot of room out there for growth because there are a lot of places that that aren't yet being exploited that are very windy and, and sufficiently close to uh, to a grid to uh, to enable a wind farm to be set up profitably. 
Denmark is a is a windy country. It's very flat, and uh, they have twenty percent of their electricity is now generated by wind farms. They're the kind of market leader. So it, I, I guess it does work. But if you were, if I if I was to give you a hundred pounds, I mean, would you put that hundred pounds on wind power, or would you would you do you prefer solar power? If you, if you gave me the whole um, spectrum of clean tech to put that hundred pounds on, I would put it in smart grid to begin with. That's that's the uh, the most here and now clean technology because basically that's that's using information technology to manage electricity flows, and it's something that we're already very good at and where there's huge potential for savings almost everywhere. You know, for instance, a, a decade from now in your house, you're going to have a panel on your wall that tells you which appliance is costing you how much in real time to run, and that's going to be a very powerful behavior change event when when you get that, and then. Uh, Utilities are going to be able to tap into the uh, the backup power supplies of of fine, uh, companies in their territories and draw down those backup power supplies as needed to smooth out uh, fluctuations and and avoid having to build new gas fired plants and things like that. So uh, th- there's a huge potential for savings here at at a very very low cost. So you'll you'll see smart grid companies grow starting now. For, for decades, and uh, uh, solar is also a really interesting one. But they, uh, right now, there's a glut of um, of capacity in the solar market because a couple of years ago, everybody in the world could get financed who had a uh, a solar technology of one kind or another, and so they all built factories. So now we have to get through a year or two of, of glut before. Um, growing demand in the world soaks up that excess supply and and starts prices and and earnings going in the right direction yeah i mean solar's solar's developing though i mean uh, i think you you pointed this out in your book but the real problem that solar faces is is energy conservation well by that i mean a way of storing the energy that it generates that's the but i mean it's interesting I mean, I'm just looking on my desk now and I have a solar-powered mobile phone charger and I have a calculator that is solar-powered and I think almost all calculators are now solar-powered. I mean, this is only little things, but 20 years ago, that that just wasn't the case. Yeah. Well, solar has gotten cheaper year after year and more efficient and it, it's reaching the point now where where it basically works. They're, they're, when it's combined with um, a modest subsidy from the local government or the local utility, um, you can put solar panels on your roof and, and get a reasonable return on your investment. And uh, that that is huge. That will just open the floodgates when it becomes true for most of the world because uh, most people, I think, would would like the idea of being able to put um, solar panels on the roofs and, and um, then watch their meter run backwards in the daytime when it's sunny and not, not have to pay an electric bill at the end of the month. That, that's a nice feeling. Be, We're a long yeah. way from that in the UK, I'm afraid. <laughs> that's because of our weather. That's a, more of an Arizona or um, coastal Spain kind of thing right yeah. now. And, but um, solar panel technology is getting more and more efficient each year, and, and a lot of the guys in the industry predict that uh, grid parity, uh, that's the term for when, when um, solar is as cheap as electricity off the grid, is coming for Britain in uh, within 10 or 15 years. So uh, when that happens, well, it, it's happening you know, gradually in different parts of the world, and uh, when, when it happens across bigger sections of the world... Um, demand will go up exponentially. So right right now, solar is like one percent of global energy output, and um, so that means it could grow at at high double digit rates for decades and still 
not be as big as, say, natural gas or something like that. So, and that's what solar is looking at. It's going to be a spectacular growth industry for a really long time. I, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but you can buy a solar panel from Curry's, which is a chain of electric stores, for your roof, and I think it costs. Oh, I, I, there you do get a government subsidy, but I, I, I think it's in the region of two grand. But I, I'm sorry if I've got that wrong to anyone who's listening. But the I read a piece on the economics of it, and it, it's ten years before you start saving money on your electric bills with that two grand outlay. So the, it's still not quite economic yet for a domestic user in the UK. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Right now, you need a very sunny place, and you need a little bit of a subsidy from the um, the local government. But uh, as solar panel prices and go down and efficiency goes up each year it becomes a, a viable deal for more and more of the world and right now um, it, you know it works in very sunny places pretty soon it'll work in temperate places and pretty soon it'll work in in somewhat cloudy places and so 15 years from now solar will be something that just about anybody outside of maybe alaska or someplace can um can put on their roofs and, and expect a reasonable return and um because of that, you know, the question from an investor's point of view, though, is which technology do you want to bet on? And right now there are three or four vying for leadership, and it's not clear which will be the, um, the one that wins or whether all, all the different technologies will, will find niches. And so you have to be very careful as an investor. Well, I was going to say that's the great risk, isn't it? Because if you pick the one yeah. one, you'll, you'll, you'll have got the sector right and you still lose money, which would be infuriating. Yeah, and early in a sector's growth, that's really easy to do. You know, there, there, there were 20 computer companies early on. Maybe three of them survived the first 10 years to be, to be giants. Same thing with you know, tech companies in the 1990s. Um, you know, the Internet became huge. Most Internet companies failed. Mm-hmm. And so um, with solar, you just have to be very careful early on because uh, it, it's really not clear who wins at this point. This is the beauty of the ETF. Yeah, I know AIG insure most of them, so we have to uh, hope that they stay afloat. <laughs> but the uh, the beauty of the ETF is that it's, it takes that risk out of. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, this thing is all about. I mean, there's so many different types of clean tech. I mean, you could argue that just buy a lump of lithium and a lump of silver, and you play the green tech boom. Well, actually, um, well, there's a couple things you said there that uh, that we could expand on. First, yes, you you want to spread your money around if you're going to do this, and and one way to do it is through a a well-managed mutual fund or an ETF that basically places a lot of bets across the board, and those those kinds of mutual funds will tend to buy today's leaders, which is is probably a good strategy um, early in a market's growth because that's where most of the money. Flows. You know, when, when, when you call your stockbroker and say, hey, I want some clean tech, they, they will find the five or six biggest names um, and, and put you in them. And so they'll tend to go up most, which tends to benefit the mutual funds that own them now. Mm-hmm. And the, the second thing you said was about owning some lithium and some silver. That, that is a really interesting clean tech investing strategy where, where you buy the, the quote-unquote pick-and-shovel makers, the guys who make um, various kinds of supplies for the industry. And so, yeah, if you, if you own some of the miners that supply the rare earths or the precious metals or whatever that goes into a winning clean tech te- technology, um, then you've got a relatively low-risk way to play that growth because mm. the, presumably the, the miners are also selling what they make to other you, people. You're too. the first person I've heard describe a silver miner as low-risk. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, you know, I, I think they're extremely low risk, but that's just my, okay, that's the dollar collapse scenario okay. talking there. <laughs> I think precious metals are, are probably your lowest risk investment right now. Everyone who listens to this show is aware of Jim Poplava and and uh, Matt Simmons, and I think m- most of most of us believe in in the arguments that they put forward about this coming energy crisis. But I mean, the oil price, the collapse in the oil price, would say that there is no coming energy crisis, that peak oil isn't there. And I know the oil price is driven by spe- speculation and sentiment and all sorts of other things. But if there isn't a looming energy crisis and there is plenty of oil. Will there still be a boom in clean tech? Yeah. Well, um, two things. I, I, I think, and, and I'm not an energy expert, but I, I think that the, uh, the the fall in oil prices has more to do with the credit crisis than with supply out there right now. We just stopped using as much because we don't, we don't have to drive to our jobs anymore right now. <laughs> but okay. um, the, the supply constraints seem to be real. The, the big... Um, oil fields of the past couple of decades are starting to play out and we haven't found uh, as much as we need to replace them. So uh, were growth to return in, um, in the global economy, I, I think oil prices would spike right back up. Um, but um, the, the important thing to understand about clean tech is that it's, it's interesting even apart from um, oil prices because there, there are a lot of problems that, that stem from using fossil fuels that, that have nothing to do with, uh, with economics. Uh, there's the climate change issue, which is also controversial, but um, appears to be, um, well, I'll put it this way, uh, the governments of the world have accepted the idea that man-made climate change is a real problem and they're taking steps to deal with it. So they're going to drive up the price of carbon one way or another and make non-carbon-based energy sources more attractive. Um, also, um, the uh, the oceans apparently are being messed up by uh, by a lot of the things that come from coal and oil burning energy sources and in ways that we don't completely understand, but that look pretty serious. And there there are other problems that uh, that stem from fossil fuels that uh, that we're going to have to deal with going forward and uh, so that it makes sense to uh, oh and geopolitics of course yeah you know we're, we're funneling a lot of money to um, regimes when we buy their oil who who are not necessarily um, the friends of democratic capitalism and to the extent that we give them more money we we cause problems militarily and geopolitically that uh, that, that solar and wind don't cause so uh, I think if we accurately allocated the costs of, for instance, uh, maintaining a free supply of oil in the Middle East, then then oil would be a lot more expensive than it is. And uh, if we allocated the costs of um, coal mining, for instance, blowing off the tops of mountains in the eastern United States in order to get coal, coal would be a lot more expensive. So I, I think if we if we look at the real costs of fossil fuels, it still makes sense to uh, to invest in clean tech, and I think that's what a lot of the public policy now that, that's being formed out there um, intends to do. So we're going to see government um, acting as if we're in a peak oil world, regardless of whether that turns out to be true or not. Have you read a book called Water: The Final Resource? It's uh, recently been published by two English gents called William Houston and Robin Griffiths. 
Um, no, but, but I did read one called When the Rivers Run Dry that okay. might cover some of the same territories. Terrifying. Well, uh, it, well it is absolutely terrifying. And, I mean, you know, for me, whether there's peak oil or not, the, 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 biggest, air, the biggest boom in clean tech has got to be to do with water because, I mean, that is so now of, you know, the, 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 the water problems facing that kind of stretch of land that goes from northern China right through Central Asia and the Middle East and down to East Africa. Water shortages are, are real, and they're here today in a lot of places, and they're going to get worse, it looks like, because uh, the snow melt off mountains, among other things, is where we, we get a lot of our water, and that's diminishing. So, so yeah, assuming going forward that it's a, a big and growing problem, there are going to be a lot of markets for technologies to deal with this. Economically, I, I, I mean, whether politicians admit it or not, it's pretty much a given now that this isn't a recession, it's going to be a depression. And um, I looked back at, you know, how can a new technology boom in a depression, you might ask yourself. But I, I look back at the 1930s and I, I looked up on Wikipedia what the technological advances of the 1930s were. And it actually saw huge technological advances. Frozen food was first sold. Now, if you think what a revolution frozen food has been, scotch tape was first marketed. The first all-talking, all-colour, widescreen movie was shown. Nuclear fission was discovered. The Volkswagen Beetle was first produced. Airmail was introduced. Radar was invented. Um, the Empire State Building, which was to be the tallest building for the next 35 years, was built. And... Um, the fastest ever steam locomotives uh, made their way from London to the north. So it was actually a period of, of great invention and, and great strides forward, perhaps because people had more time on their hands so that they had more time to think and reflect and come up with stuff. Yes, and when it's a technology's time, it, it tends to grow regardless of what the economy is like. Uh, car sales actually boomed during the Depression. Because that that was a brand new technology that was analogous to the uh, the personal computer of the time, and it was the thing that everybody decided they had to have. So people who could afford it, and a surprising number of people could, went out and bought one. And uh, the, the same will be true even if we're in a depression here with uh, with the better clean technologies. They're they it's their time, and um, the ones that work will tend to spread and to grow. And there, there's also a, another positive difference, at least from from the point of view of clean technology uh, versus the depression is uh, back then they were they were still con constrained by a limited money supply because they were on the gold standard more or less during the depression and now the, the mm -hmm. governments of the world as, as you and I talked about before the show started uh, they have unlimited printing presses they can just uh, print as much money as they want to and um, that's going to be very very bad for the global economy eventually, but in, in the intermediate term, it means that there's going to be more money available for the introduction of new beneficial technologies than there would have been otherwise. So that, that means, at least in the near term, uh, demand for the better clean technologies can, can grow um, more or less unconstrained by, by money supply issues. It does seem to be something that, uh, I mean, when you hear a politician's speech, speak or when I do now I'm programmed just not to believe a word they say uh, just because we've just been fed so much spin particularly from the Labour Party here in the UK over the last 15 years you just don't believe a word anything anyone says because you think they're just saying it to to keep some 
group somewhere happy and, and to win votes. You, you wonder, what, you know, you, 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 you yearn for a genuine person in politics. But nevertheless, you know, Obama, it, clean tech. I, I know with Obama he promised change and we're just seeing a lot more of the same, really. But it, clean tech and, and, and the environment does seem to be something he genuinely does care about. Yeah, it, it, that's a priority, and it has been since since day one of his campaign. So, and and when you look at the people he's put in charge of environmental policy here, they're they're heavy hitters in the field who uh, are by and large very much in favor of and very familiar with alternative energy. So, um, combine that with an unlimited printing press, and and you have the potential for an awful lot of government money flowing into this stuff. And so far, that's that's what we've seen. For instance, just just today, um, Miami announced that it was using uh, a, a grant from the federal government to install a million smart meters in uh, in homes in in within the city limits, and um, you know, upgrade, upgrading to a smart grid, in other words, at least beginning the process. And and so we'll see a lot of that in the U.S. And they they have a, a fairly generous now. Um, a rebate policy for putting solar panels on your roof, and, and uh, they're working with utilities to build more wind farms. And uh, so the, the money is starting to flow. So that this is probably something that we can actually trust from the government this time, because they're they're backing yeah. up the rhetoric with actions. And uh, again, and, you know, in the long run, spending all this money is going to be a very very bad thing for for everyone. But uh, in the intermediate term, it's it's good for clean tech. Mm. Now, um, I, I don't know if you know Bob Hoy. He, he's a guest we often have on the show, and he's very, very bullish about gold stocks at the moment. And he thinks that uh, gold stocks in the coming years are going to do pretty much this, something similar to what gold stocks did in the 1930s. But he says, with the proviso that when the stock market trends down, gold stocks will either be flat or they'll trend down. And when the stock market rallies, gold stocks will rally, but they will rally by a much greater margin than the stock market and within a year or two's time the stock market will will be several points lower than where it is today and gold stocks will be many points higher do you see um clean tech stocks trading with a similar pattern well uh, yeah in, in general i think clean tech stocks should um move with the overall market but uh, upward to a greater extent. That's, that's what I would expect. In, in other words, when, when the overall market is up, clean tech should outperform. And when the overall market is down, it, it, it's going to go down too because uh, people tend to sell, sell off just about everything other than safe havens like precious metals. But um, because the clean tech companies, at least the best of them, will be reporting positive year-over-year comparisons, whereas the rest of the economy won't, um, they will tend to be supported by earnings, even in tough markets. So they, they ought to do better than the average company's stock when, when the average company is reporting a, a big loss year over year. And so, yeah, you know. And even if they're not at the earnings stage, they might still have healthy balance sheets yeah. as a result of all the subsidies. Yeah, I mean, if, if they're able to, um, to raise some money when overall clean tech is up, yeah, then they're going to have a good balance sheet, and you won't look at them as a bankruptcy candidate when you may be looking at some of the other big industrial companies as 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 more troubled. So in general, they'll they'll tend to do better, but they're they're not immune to a, a big bear market like today, for instance. The U.S. market is down; a lot of clean tech stocks are also down, but they, they tend to be down a, a smaller percent 
percentage than than the the overall market. So I think that's what we'll see going forward. So um, it, it's an excellent book, by the way, ladies and gents, and I, I do recommend you read it. But w- what's nice about this book is it, it makes a very good reference book because you, you'll read the first, um, I don't know, 30 or 40 pages and, and you'll be, you know, you'll you'll be convinced by the overall argument. And then you you donate a chapter to each uh, sector of green tech, if you like, uh, solar power, there's a chapter on solar, a power on wind, a power on water, a power on transportation, a power on... A, a chapter on biofuels um so it makes a very useful reference book so that you think oh i'm thinking of buying a biofuel stock i, I just let's just remind myself about the issues there and you can grab the book off the shelf and 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 read up on biofuels very quickly and you'll have i don't know 10 or 15 pages on on biofuels uh one of the chapters that that made good reading for me was a chapter entitled short candidates and the reason i was gripped by that was because it was only I didn't even notice it the first time I read the coming collapse of the dollar about the suggested shocks stocks that you should short. And it was only when I reread it earlier in the year and I thought, oh, crikey, they were saying short all those financial stocks. And I didn't. Um, you have suggested a load of uh, stocks to short um, and they include um, oil dependent companies, water dependent companies. For example, you suggested shorting Burger King, Coca-Cola. Craft food, McDonald's, Starbucks. Um, to, why don't you talk about that? The the oil dependent companies. You suggested um, shorting FedEx, Ford, General Motors. Um, why don't you talk about the short candidates? Yeah, a lot. A lot of the trends that will make clean technologies, growth industries going forward, will tend to hurt um, the, the industries that are on the other side of the trend. For instance. Uh, Rising oil prices, great news for um, solar and wind and smart grid, but bad news for uh, the, the companies and the industries that require low energy prices in order to turn a profit. So you can buy the smart uh, or the smart grid and solar companies that, that benefit from this and short the companies like the, the big traditional automakers and the package delivery services and a lot of the other uh, energy-intensive industries out there, and you make money coming and going. Um, there, that's true of a lot of different sectors like water and uh, electricity and, and uh, several others. And, and if you look at each one, you find companies that will tend to be hurt going forward by the same trends that help. Who needs tech. cheap water? Um, companies that, for instance, the, uh, the beverage companies like Coca-Cola, um, they, they use immense amounts of water. And a lot of their bottling plants are in parts of the country that are, that are or parts of the world that are already water constrained and will tend to become more so going forward. So they either they have um, today really rigorous, really far-sighted um, water management plans, or they're in trouble. So um, you, you want to look at them and find out who's not doing a good job now of planning for the future, and then they're good short candidates. Um, um, McDonald's, for instance, makes a lot of its money by, by selling um, soft drinks. If the, the water that goes into those soft drinks becomes scarcer or more expensive, that's a problem for them. Starbucks, you know, the, the list goes on, and uh, it includes a lot of big-name companies out there that are going to... Breweries? Breweries, yes. Yeah, Any, anybody who uses a lot of water um, and requires that water to be very cheap is potentially in trouble here. A lot of the, uh, the ag, ag business companies out there, the big agricultural companies, will also be hurt by... Um, scarcer water because the, uh, the the crops that they deal in 
are, are generally farmed in places where the water is subsidized. If water becomes more expensive, those farmers are hurt, the price of their products goes up, and that hurts the companies that buy and process those products. So um, you, you can make a career. That, that but water that I... Sorry, go on. I was just going to say that, but water that I was talking about uh, is very bearish on some of your um, U.S. states where you grow a lot. He, he thinks you're going to be hit hard by changing Oh, yeah. We, we, in the U.S., of course, we've, we've built a whole economy around the assumptions of cheap energy and cheap water. And they both turned out to be false. So we're in big trouble over here. Um, you know, regardless of the credit crunch, we've got some, some longer-term problems to deal with. And, uh, and yeah, um, since we've become an agricultural powerhouse by um, um, basically irrigating deserts to grow water-intensive crops. We've, we've got some issues to deal with here in terms of water. And the companies that, uh, that, that use that water and require it to stay cheap have a lot of problems. So you, you, you can make a whole career just out of shorting companies that are hurt by these clean tech trends. So uh, there's... Airlines? Oh, well, airlines are um, energy-intensive. They, they require cheap jet fuel. So you take that away from them, they, their business models aren't viable anymore. You know, a lot of them, uh, well, they, they cratered to penny stock levels during the, uh, the, the latest energy crisis. And if we go back to peak oil, uh, the airlines are major short candidates. We've mentioned water. We've mentioned smart grid. Um, I just want to talk about. I've got two more questions for you, John, and then we'll wrap this up. Firstly, just uh, tell, tell us a bit about geothermal. That's something I don't know very much about. Yeah, geothermal is a, a really great-sounding technology that, uh, that actually sounds like it might live up to its hype because uh, basically the, uh, it, it gets hotter the further you go down into the Earth's crust. And in some places, the, um, the heat of the Earth's core is relatively close to the surface. You can, you can drill down and tap into... Uh, places where water has, has seeped down, hit hot rocks, and formed what's called a geothermal reservoir. And uh, you can use that hot water to run a steam turbine or, uh, or, or whatever and generate electricity with it. And this is very cheap, very non-polluting, and uh, new drilling and uh, energy generation technologies are coming along that allow more and more parts of the Earth's crust to be tapped for geothermal energy. So we'll, we'll see uh, nice, steady growth in this kind of power generation going forward, and in some places like uh, uh, the, the rim of fire around the, the Pacific Ocean and uh, the western U.S., that we'll see dramatic growth because there's a lot of uh, of geothermal potential there that hasn't been tapped yet. So uh, geothermal companies, uh, especially the little ones, are a lot like gold and silver miners because they uh, they're they're out there exploring for resources. When they find one, they they have to raise a lot of money and then exploit that resource. And the ones that do, uh, or and especially the ones that find really you know big blockbuster resources, will turn into uh, to large profitable companies that generate a lot of cash flow and maybe they'll roll up some of the smaller players and form big you know newmont mining kinds of geothermal companies and and so we'll, we'll see an interesting process in the next few years of uh, of the emergence of some big serious geothermal companies that uh, that make their early investors a lot of money using the heat to make energy using the earth's yeah. heat to make energy the, the heat beneath our feet yeah the heat beneath our feet there we go yeah. Final question, John. I think the water crisis is imminent. Which green tech are you most bullish about in the next two years? On well, the next couple of years, in, in, in the very short term, um, smart grid. 
is definitely the, the clean technology with the, the best growth prospects because uh, this is information technology and we know how to do it. There are five or six companies out there right now that have viable products that are uh, uh, generating a lot of orders and um, the, the players range all the way from IBM at the big end to, uh, to a lot of smaller um, growth stocks. Converge might be a good example. Echelon and Enernoc might be two other examples um, of companies that uh, that have really, really interesting products that are um, that they're able to sell into the marketplace now, and there's a lot of demand for them. So they're they're going to grow dramatically, and and you can build a, a nice portfolio of um, smart grid stocks just you know by itself, and and probably have good growth pros prospects. Solar is very interesting. Geothermal is very interesting. Wind is a big, solid industry with uh, with steady growth prospects. So that they're uh, more utility scale companies, but they're good too. And there are a lot of others. You know, we we could go. <laughs> we well, could spend yeah. about fifteen minutes just going down uh, the, the prospects. I know. Right. Some of I'm just looking at the chapters here. I got waste yeah. and agriculture. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. agriculture. Oh food. Yeah, waste. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, oh yeah. Yes. And <laughs> all all of this stuff. Uh, each of these industries has um, has some groundbreaking technologies that uh, if they work, and a lot of them are a little, um, uh, a, a few years away from the marketplace, but if they work, they revolutionize their sector. And so we'll, we'll see a lot of them work. So this is going to be a fascinating um, 10 or 15 years uh, in which to watch these new technologies kind of take over. Excellent stuff. Ladies and gents, the book is called Clean Money, Picking Winners in the Green Tech Boom. It's written by John Rubino. The publisher is Wiley and it's available at Amazon and Play and various other places. I'll put a link up on the uh, on the homepage of the radio show. John Rubino, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Why don't we, as we close, why don't you give out the name of your excellent um, website, which uh, has got some, it's, again, it's a superb source of information. It's got a, stuff that's not in the book on it. Uh, sure, Dominic. It's, it's www.greenstockinvesting.com, and it, it's um, basically a news aggregation site where I'm trying to pull together the the, um, the most important current stories on clean tech and categorizing everything by uh, uh, by sector. So you can uh, you can check in, find out what's going on in solar or smart grid on any given day, and uh, and stay up with it uh, cleanly and easily. Excellent stuff. That is. Do you want to say that one more time? Yeah, greenstockinvesting.com. Good stuff, and I'll put a link to it uh, up okay. on the page. John Rubino, thank you very much. Thanks, Dominic. Commodity Watch Radio is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee for Mindsight, with music by Manolo Camp. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our bulletin board at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com.